0: Hello hello everyone. Welcome back to Theo Social where theology meets sociology. So, I am your host, Elizabeth Escobar. For those of you who have been tuning in and have been on the edge of your seat waiting for the next episode. It is here. <laughs> um I want to thank those of you who have been diligent listeners and those who have been encouraging me on the side to continue to, um, record and share these podcasts. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Um, there have been, I don't want to say bad things. There hasn't been bad things, uh, holidays, and then plus just a new year. There's, uh, some different transitions and, um, different friends that have moved on to different places and, um, yeah, adjustments that needed to take place. Um, so, um, just really living life and trying to understand a new flow and a new rhythm, I want to say. Um, but I am going to confess for sure that, um, definitely feeling a bit of imposter syndrome still, um, one of the things that I'll kind of touch on, on what we are going to be talking about today. So today's episode, um, we are going to be talking about a character that's pretty big deal. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about the Apostle Peter, but pre-Apostle Peter days. So um, as many of you know, we have been on this series, so this will, but hopefully... (laughs) I think it will be the close of this series on Create. So we are going to be diving into talking about um, what it means to be worthy to serve. Um, And this uh, really, I feel like God deposited this thought and just this message inside of me after hearing a message um, when I was at church. Uh, not too long ago, um, just the importance of of serving and um, serving God, but through our talents and giftings, and um, so yeah. So we are going to be um, talking through um, John uh, chapter twenty one. It is a bit of a long chapter. We're not going to read the entire thing, but I'm going to jump around to a few things. So I'll, I'll read a little bit of it to give a bit of some context. Um, so it says here, so this is Jesus in the miraculous catch of fish. So this is after Jesus had, um, been crucified. And there's been a few instances where he had appeared to different, um, different groups of people, individuals, uh, some of his disciples. And this is one of those appearances. So it says afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples By the Sea of Tiberius, it happened this way: Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the son of Zebedee, two other disciples, were together. I'm going out to fish," Simon Peter told them, and they said, "We'll go with." So they went out and got into the boat, but but the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you fished? No, they answered, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, excuse me, heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garments around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coal there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It is. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now... The third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we find um, Peter and various disciples out fishing, which this would be not an unusual occurrence for these men because, hello, that was their profession. They were fishermen. So it would be like saying a teacher who is back into teaching. So it's fall time, goes back to teaching. That's what she does or he does, right? Teacher. So in the same way, this was just a profession, but the biggest distinction about this or the importance of why it is important that it's noted is because it indicates that Peter and the other disciples that were fishermen, they were going back to something that was familiar. So I, and I'm going to make a pretty big (sighs) theological statement if you want to take it that way or assumption, I'm really sensing and I think that Peter was feeling some sort of imposter syndrome as well. Why? And that may be like some modern day term to be implicating into the scripture, but I think because Imagine he was walking, living with Jesus for three years. He stepped away from all he knew, which was a life of a fisherman. You know, the sea and fish and the fish trade market was his life. There was really nothing that he was pursuing separately aside from that. And so he does something completely out of his element Basically, what we know of Peter during Jesus's ministry is that he was characterized as someone that was outspoken, spoke out of turn, (laughs) said whatever was on his mind before thinking through. He was violent. I mean, he cut off someone's ear in the name of Jesus, according to him. Um, So he, I mean, he, I think he had a little bit of a pattern of being ahead, you know, he, I think he had a good nature about him and great instincts. Peter was also one that the one and only disciple that identified Jesus as the Christ, which was something huge. But Jesus, excuse me, Peter was also the disciple that Jesus rebuked um, and told him, get behind me, Satan. So there was um, definitely the apostle Peter was a disciple who very much had an internal struggle. (laughs) So sorry about that, y'all. You guys caught a little bit of real life. That was little Miss Baby Girl Adeline trying to wake up, but thankfully Dad swooped in and saved the day. So as I've mentioned in prior episodes, I do record in the closet because there's some I don't know if you want to call them a co- good acoustics or not, but it's like nice little cozy enough space where um, it just, the sound sounds great. Um, but it also means that I have to make sure that I'm not waking up my children because they're sleeping. But anyhow, back to the Apostle Peter's internal struggles. So yeah, he was an individual that was pretty complex. And I think that he, um, very much was trying to figure out what, what and who he was going to be, because as he is following this man that he knows to the core of his being that, Hey, this is the Christ. This is the person that we have been singing and praying and the prophecies of old have told us about that this is who he is and I'm seeing him do all the things that um, the Torah tells us that he was going to do and he's doing them right in front of me. So he stepped out, completely stepped out and decided to follow him for these three years, but then he dies and he just doesn't die a simple death. He was crucified so he was put to death. And so there was a level of shame, um, a level of may- maybe even um, still like an internal struggle again, but to the level of where he was questioning himself because of the fact that, you know, not too far down, just a few chapters prior, was when. Uh, yeah, actually in chapter 18 was when he denied um, Jesus, when Jesus was arrested. And this was something that Jesus had prophesied over him and told him that he was going to deny him three times. And Peter was like, absolutely not. I will not. He was definitely a very passionate, zealot type person. And I think even in that moment, he was experiencing a struggle, you know, because moments before he had just cut off <laughs> a servant's ear that was in the mix while jesus was being arrested and um it, it just the impulsiveness uh in the moment not really knowing how to which which nature to um stand in so whether to go based off of his earthly um impulses um or being that spiritual man that he wasn't accustomed to being entirely. Um, Because you have to remember that uh, people like Peter during this time period, being that he was a fisherman, meaning that he was a person that made a living with his hands. So he had um, a hard laborist type of work, right? He was not a scholar. He was not um, an elite uh, person. He didn't come from a wealthy family. So that meant that he was probably not very educated. Um, maybe, you know, a lot of his reading and writing, if if he had any of it, was pretty minimal. Um, didn't really have much formal schooling. So um, this, I can imagine, I just, I can't imagine how much of it would rock his thinking especially knowing that the very person that he believed was the Christ is now dead, still in his mind. So what does he do? He just goes back to all he knows, which is, well, I had a livelihood and I have to somehow keep myself going. So I'm going to go back to the only work that I know, which was familiarity. And in this case was um, being a fisherman. And so This is where Jesus finds him. And I think what's most, gosh, I don't know what the word is, but just maybe what's most touching, what Jesus does is that he doesn't come back and fling a finger in his face. Like, what are you doing? Why are you back here? You're no longer a fisherman. I told you you're going to be a fisher of men. And, you know, he could have thrown all kinds of things at him. But instead, what does he do? he meets him where he's at. He literally, like, figuratively, but also literally, he asks him, how are they doing? Have they caught anything? No? Well, let me, can I help you to find, find some fish? Let me help you. Try the right side. And in doing that, I mean, they just have this unbelievable net. And not only does that happen, but When Peter finally realizes that this is, in fact, Jesus, he's so, like, mumble-jumbled and, like, perplexed that he ends up putting his clothes back on, you know? And mind you, he's a fisherman, so, I mean, hey, if he's out there (laughs) trying to fish, like, he's, you know, there was no scuba diving gear at the time, so, you know, you just, you went at it, all natural status. And so for him to be putting back his garments, his cloak, you know, all of the large pieces of clothing that they used to wear during that time period, like, mm, I don't know how much you're going to be floating or really swimming, Peter. Like, what's happening with that scenario? But I thought one thing that a note that I wrote, or excuse me, that I read that was pretty interesting out of a commentary was that it mentioned that, Peter, quite possibly, the reason why he put on his cloak was to greet the Lord. So it was more out of like respect and honor of um, showing himself formally before him. Like, oh my gosh, the Christ, the very Christ that I've been following for three years, here I am devastated thinking that this person that I followed for all this time was a fake or I wasted my time and no, he's alive. Like, oh shoot, I better get my act together and like go before him and show some respect, show some honor, show some reverence. So I think there was a little bit of both. Just a a bit of just kind of like that double look, like where you're just like, huh, what's happening? And then secondly, just that awe and wonder of, oh my gosh, I have the divine, the divine son of God right before me. And I need to, I need to be before him again. Um, because he changed my life and I don't want to go back. You know, he met me here right where I'm at. So, um, yeah, we, I really do believe that at the core of what was happening here was, uh, A sense of identity, finding a sense of purpose, and deciding what to do next. Uh, Peter was definitely at a crossroads, and it was really important what he did next. And he initially decided that he was going to go back because that was all he knew. But even in that, that's where Jesus decided to meet him. And the first thing Jesus does is ask to share a meal with him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't point at his face. He didn't bring up mistakes. He didn't bring up his shortcomings. Because Jesus already knew. Jesus knew very well who Peter was. Strengths, flaws, all of it. But even still, he decided to sit and share a meal with him. And I think that's something that I love so much about Jesus and Jesus's ministry, that it was always characterized by spending time at the dinner table with people. Good, bad, higher up, lower, didn't matter what your social status was. He was going to spend time um, sharing a meal with someone. And that was really um, a a point of reference and something foundational uh, for his leadership, something that he was not just modeling to his disciples, but to everyone, uh, giving everyone the same playing field, I think, not um, saying that, oh, well, I can only be over here with these people or with that, like, it's just we're all one and creating this unity, creating this sense of community, um, bringing people from all walks of life, people that maybe didn't necessarily think that they can be joined together at a table, at a table setting. And he did it, whether it was at a wedding, whether it was at a mother-in-law's home, a busy home between two sisters, uh, in a synagogue, out in the courtyard, out in uh, the... Yeah, just so many instances where Jesus just decided, like, hey, we're going to share a meal. And in this uh, particular moment, it was out uh, with some fishermen, with some men uh, who were really in in the in the thick of going back to their old ways, if you may. And he didn't say, like, well, we're going to eat a meal, but we're going to go to my side of town. Or we're going to go to where I'm comfortable. He's like, okay, this is where you're comfortable. Then I'm going to meet you right here. And we're going to share a meal right here where you're at. I'm not going to wait until you come to, you know, my level. I'm going to come and meet you at your level. And I think this speaks volumes. Because not only had he already died on the cross in crucifixion, but once again, he comes down again to meet his disciples where they're at. Time and time again, Jesus is continuing to model that um, physically and spiritually, not just virtually, but I think there was an emotional connection, uh, a bond that was taking place again. And he was meeting the needs of Peter um, because there was a significance, like a, a sense of um, self and of purpose that needed to take place. Again, because like I mentioned, we're talking about a man who had did not have very much formal training, uh, probably very little education. And it was important for Jesus to p- deposit into Peter a sense of like self, but a strong self, because fast forward to the book of uh, Luke Acts, we see that who is leading <laughs> the New Testament church. He is the apostle Peter is, you know, so he really, and I mentioned that because that's who, you know, today, thousands of years later, that's how we reference him. But before he was apostle Peter, he was just Peter, Simon, Peter, uh, someone's son, uh, someone's family member, uh, a fisherman that would get hired, <laughs> because he had good fish, a fish selection. So there really wasn't like this plan to become an apostle or a church father of a new religion. Uh, He really, this kind of like happened to him in like a happy accident. So Jesus definitely was the best thing that ever happened to him. But in order for Jesus to build his church, on the shoulders of a man named Peter, it needed to be a secure man. It needed to be a man that was rooted in the identity of Jesus Christ. And that needed to happen by sharing time with Jesus, again, the resurrected Christ in this instance, and to be able to hear it from him. And what I mean by hear it from him. So if we go a little further to, let's see. So we're still in chapter 21. So it says in verse 15, it says where Jesus reinstates Peter. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. we see a pretty descriptive uh, instance, interaction between Jesus and Peter, this dialogue where it is, he's, it's not just between the two of them because this is happening in front of the other disciples, key disciples that are present that physically see this reinstatement happening. So, Peter had, you know, gone out of his way to, you know, kind of remove himself from the group of 12 disciples. After Jesus's arrest and um, crucifixion and just his death, he just kind of went into dessert mode, you know, and just like, all right, I'm just going to go make some bucks and go fish and I'm going to go do my own thing, right? And And him doing that, there were disciples that chose to do the same. It didn't really matter. And I mean, that should be a lesson for us as well, that there is a level of leadership that all of us possess. So whatever we choose, whether it is, oh, I'm going to follow after God, or I'm going to follow after, you know, areas of familiarity in my life. There's people that are deciding to do based off of what we do next. and. I don't think he was really paying attention to that. I don't think he even had a good grasp on the fact that there was just like this organic sense of leadership over his life. Um, and it's, and Jesus knew that. Jesus already had, you know, seen that in Peter's life from day one, you know, from this bold, outspoken person to, Uh, this person that even when he fumbles, there is no, I don't want to say that there isn't any shame or judgment. It's just like, he just fails. He doesn't like, like he, like it reminds me of when I was in high school, uh, my choir director, he would say, if you're going to mess up on a note, do it big, just let it all out. Okay. Like just do it big, but get it out. Now in rehearsal, so that when it comes time to have the performance, to have the concert, you're ready. Why? Because you messed up already prior in the choir room. You don't need to do it out in the open. Like, get it all out now, you know, like practice it all out. And in a way, that's kind of what Jesus is doing with him. You know, like, he purposefully spent those three years with these 12 men because. He spent these twelve. No, excuse me, not twelve years. He spent three years with the twelve disciples, and not just the twelve. There was other disciples involved as well, um, but these primary disciples, because it was going to give them the space to ask the questions, make the mistakes. I mean, there was instances where Jesus sent out um, disciples in pairs. He gave them instructions on praying over the sick, healing those that needed healing and, um, you know, and go. (laughs) Come back and report back to me. So he gave them the space of time to do all of that. And yeah, they messed up a lot. I mean, Jesus corrected them quite a bit when it was necessary. Um, But it, it was essential for all of that to take place so that come time for when the New Testament church was established, it was a rock, and it had to be a rock because of the mass persecution that the New Testament church experienced those first formative years. If it wasn't for the bedrock truth, theological like biblical truth that was inside of them from spending all that time with Jesus. They would have totally like fallen or just I give up type mentality, I'm done, like Jesus isn't even physically here with us anymore. What's what's the point? And that wasn't the case because they ended up not just seeing with their physical eyes, but then eventually receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what gave them the power. It's what gave them the authority, the boldness to go out and be that witness in this physical world, but to function as spiritual, like superhumans, if you may, you know, I mean, to the point that they just like, their very shadow was like healing people. Like that's craziness you know, to have a level of anointing like that over your life. But that level of anointing like really took place because it was an inward transformation that happened. So went from being this insecure, outspoken, out of turn, you know, just not having a right sync and like rhythm to himself, to being a solid, godly man who was in tune with the Spirit of God at all times. All times. Which is something that I don't want to say is unheard of because it's not, but it's definitely something to emulate that we need more of every single day. So that's really the type of, the level of service that God, that Jesus was requiring of Peter. But before he could require this type of leadership, it was, can you be at my feet? Can you hear my heart? My heart is my people. My heart are these souls, but I need for you to be able to have the ear to listen, but the ear to listen comes first from spending time with me. So before we even get to the masses of people that are going to be transformed at Pentecost, the thousands of years of different generations of Christians that you are never going to meet, that are going to be transformed by the work of Christ over your life, I need to spend some time with you. So that there is that level of connection, and not just connection, but that you have that completeness, that you feel that validation that only comes from above. Because then and only then, will he feel that he is worthy of serving others, worthy of being a called and a chosen one to lead the path for others who want to go after the way, which is Christ. And that's huge. You know, and why do I mention all of this? because i think we all struggle with a level of insignificance or not feeling good enough not feeling worthy enough um imposter syndrome i mean that is real y'all like <laughs> this is like a huge step of faith for me to be doing this regularly and why because it's something that is inside of me i mean i i feel like i realized this not too long ago and this can apply to anything i feel but there are times I think that God places things inside of us and it's, it's much like having a baby, like being pregnant. You know, you naturally, your body just begins to grow and eventually you just cannot continue to wear the same old, same old clothes. You have to eventually either buy maternity clothes or buy bigger clothes until the point where the baby is no longer physically in your body, but on the outside. And even then there's new clothes that you have to wear because you're in recovery mode. And now you have a baby that you have to tend to. So there's no going back after that point. You know, like there, there's a total change, a total transformation that takes place. And I think when we try to suppress things that God wants has deposited, has birthed inside of us and not allow for it to take birth on the outside. So in this sense, you know, there's a first a spiritual birth and then there's like a physical birth, like a coming out sense, if you may. If if there isn't that transfer that takes place, it becomes like a, almost like a depression or like a, a heaviness. So instead like instead of something that was meant to be joyous, like an in a pure enjoyment experience, like being in in the zone, like, man, this is like what I was made for, created for. If it is something that is suppressed, especially if it is like something that God placed over you, you're gonna be miserable. Miserable. And I, and that's really what was happening with Peter he was not functioning in his true identity. He no longer fit as a fisherman. Like maybe he was that at one point, but he wasn't anymore. You know, like it just, it didn't fit him anymore to the point that he was like, shoot, I'm putting clothes on to go swimming. Like what, like what? Like it, he was just out of sorts because now he only belonged to Christ And there was a distinctive marking over his life. Even when he tried to fit back in to the familiarity, there was no going back. So this is an encouragement first for myself, but I'm throwing it back out there for others. Step out. Even when you're afraid, even when you're feeling the imposter syndrome, even when you are feeling so out of sorts or just, man, this is new. I'm more comfortable in the familiarity, you're going to be miserable in the familiarity and you got to step out and, and do what you believe that God has deposited and birthed inside of you. Even when it's fumbly, just like this episode. I mean, we had a little bit of my daughter crying on here and, you know, we're still working out different little things here and there, but that's okay. It's just, you just got to begin. Somewhere you gotta begin. So, I'm gonna leave you with this. So, an axe. Of course, I... Here we go. Axe. Sorry about that. Lost my place here. Oh, here we go. Acts chapter two, verse 40. So this is where um, Peter was addressing the crowds. So there was a crowd of people that began to basically come around the upper room where the disciples and the various people that came that decided to Be disciples as well, like, hey, we heard about this Jesus, he ascended, and everything, we want more of this. And so, they had been praying and fasting for 40 days, and then that's when the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They begin speaking in various languages, and people start crowding around. They're just kind of like, What is happening? And in all of this, Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, begins to preach the gospel. And verse 40 says this, With many other words he warned them and and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That is insane. Insane. 3,000 in one single day. Like, what? What? how many people have I told about Jesus today? Have you told about Jesus today? And Peter just opens his mouth and 3,000 people decide to change their life for God. Like, okay, Peter, wow. But you know what that tells me? Is that if Jesus can have that miraculous, transformational, healing, inward power happen over Peter's life, not because of the number, but because of the level of like true change, like heavenly spiritual change come over him that there's that much of an outward result. I'm in. I want that. Sign me up for that, please. So that's where you know that there's like only a level of confidence that is heaven sent to be able to know that you know that you know that you know that you were called to serve. But you can't serve others well in any sense until you have spent that quality time with the Lord where you share that meal, the meal of his word, the, the meal of worship, the meal of being in his presence. That only happens with a little bit of time. And I mean, everyone's time is different. You know, you got to water it differently and you have to see how it fits in your life. But there is definitely that sense where Jesus wants it to come first through that intimate time with him. Um, Just that understanding where it's like, I want to do something that's just for you before it is about the platform, before it is about the calling, before it is about the people. It needs to be just about us, and I think that that's something that we all struggle with because we get distracted with things that are, are all are all around us. It doesn't even matter what it is you fill in the blank, you know. But we, if we are struggling with that sense of significance, purpose, feeling worthy or not, we got to go back to the basics, and that is sitting. With him, sharing some fish, (laughs) sharing some bread, spending some time at the shore, at the beach, just like Peter did, and being affirmed in who we are in him. And after that point, that's when we'll know. We'll know that we'll know that we'll know who we are rooted in, why we are rooted, to be able to charge forward, to know how to serve well.